Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from which we are recording and you are listening today. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome back to another episode of You Have My Interest. I'm Evelyn and together with my colleague Maddie, we're mortgage brokers here to help you make smart moves with your money by giving you tips, tricks and tools to help navigate your wealth journey. Good morning, Mads. How are you? I'm good. I've had a really good morning so far. What about you? Have you? I have had a great morning. I, uh, well, it's, what is it? 8.54 and we've already run a podcast, which was a very, very exciting conversation that I can't wait for our listeners to, um, to get into and start to learn a bit more about the US property market. I think it was fascinating. I know it was really good. I mean, we woke up this morning and I got a message from you and you thought it was Saturday. So I felt I really did. sad for you. It was really funny. <laughs> it's Friday and it's I thought it was Friday. <laughs> but I was actually really happy because I don't, didn't have to run 16 Ks then today. So I've still got another day to mentally prepare for that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, good luck to you tomorrow. I couldn't, I can't even run 1K, I feel like. So you're my inspiration. Oh, we'll see. We'll see how we go. Anyway, let's tell our listeners about Ruben. How did you get to meet him? You met him over at FinCon when you were in America. I did. So when I went to America, I went with my family to New York and Hawaii, but I did a little brief stopover of about 36 hours in Orlando for FinCon, which is a finance conference for content creators. So everyone from around the world goes there, obviously mainly the US people, um, but we had a few Australians come along for the ride as well. I got a scholarship, which is why I couldn't pass up the opportunity to go. Uh, so I went down to Orlando and it was at the Marriott Resort. It was absolutely amazing. There were, I think there was, there was thousands of people there. It was awesome. But they had a lot of um, separate meetups for people that have common interests. So I went to a real estate meetup and I met a lot of like-minded people there, including Ruben. He is a real estate agent in the US and North Carolina. He does a lot of consulting, a lot of coaching and a lot of investing in the market. So it does a lot of passive income work, which was mm. so interesting to learn more about and have you meet him as well. But just his mindset around investing is yep. so different to what we see in Australia. And I think it's going to give a lot of value to our listeners and what they are looking to do in the market we're so focused on the same thing here we all think long-term investing and long-term rentals are the way to go where he really just changed my mind I'm so interested in the short-term market now and what that has to offer I think the biggest takeaway for me was regardless of what the actual vehicle you're using to get to the end result is it's just having a really, really deliberate and specific focus on what that goal is. And then you work out the vehicle to get you there. I think that's the, the biggest difference because you might have a strategy that means that long-term rentals are more suitable for you. But he was specifically talking about changing to that, you know, changing up his investment strategy because what they needed at that time was cash flow. So you'll when you when you do listen to the conversation, you'll hear how cash flow drove um, their strategy over the last couple of years, I think he was saying, is, is where he started yeah. to switch everything over. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway that I hope listeners get out of the conversation is it's starting with the goal and then working out the vehicle and how you actually then get to that based on that end result. And always hanging on to that goal when you are looking at potential opportunities, passing up things that aren't tailored specifically to that uh, so that you are really clear about the outcomes. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Something I really liked him talking about as well. He always brought up the word disruption and really we didn't touch into it too much, but I really liked that. And the fact that you want to disrupt the market, do things that other people aren't doing, and that's where you're going to do the best work. And I really liked that. Leaning into when that when you have that sense of disruption and people are fearful, that's when you can actually potentially achieve the most success if you're willing to take that risk. Because with risk, as we know, comes reward. And I think that's also where the short-term rental aspect comes into it as well. Uh, higher risk, we sort of thought, was around the short-term rental market. But it sounds like he's really mm-hmm. managed to de-risk the potential factors that can impact short-term rentals to therefore generate him the most sort of, I guess, soundproof, Uh, returns that he can achieve through that for sure I think there's a lot of opportunity in fear and risk so Mm. without further ado let's get into the episode Ruben thank you so much for coming on the show with us today I met you at the start of the month at FinCon in Orlando Florida which was really cool so you're from the east coast in America Uh, why don't you just tell us uh, what you do in America and what you bring to the property industry yeah, so what do I do in America? I go to events where I meet awesome people like you uh, and and network, and, and that's, I guess, part of it. But this is actually the state I live in, North Carolina, here in uh, the United States. So, um, And it says real estate, obviously. So what do I do? Real estate. We do real estate, what we call real estate CIA. So we do coaching, investing, agent. So consulting side of the business, the investing, short-term rental, long-term rental, we even have an RV that we rent out. So anywhere you want to go with that stuff. And then the agent side of the business where we have about 175 agents um, in like 19 or 20 states. That's huge. I mean, you must be super, you're obviously super successful. How long have you been in the real estate industry for over in the US? Well, um, uh, actually, I'm coming up on my eighth year uh, in November, I want to say. So it's get, it's getting there. It's getting there. I wouldn't say, you know, successful or goals, right? Like it, success is funny, right? Because as soon as you, you you build like a goal of what you believe success is going to be, you go for it, you achieve it. And then you're like, well, hmm, if I've hit that goal, then I really haven't necessarily tapped in my fullest potential. So it moves up, right? So the, that chase to be successful, I think is a, it's an ever- it's a, it's a thing that you want to do forever and ever and ever because you never really hold it. I think, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, I would agree with that. And funnily enough, I actually listened to a podcast yesterday by Ed Milet. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's oh, actually yeah. He's from a man. America. Yeah, yeah. He's like this. Podcast- He's a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> he was specifically <laughs> talking to, I can't remember the, the guy that he interviewed in terms of his name, but he uh, has achieved all of these incredible world records and all of these incredible accolades and been the first person to cross Antarctica solo and all of these things. Um, and he said, what's your next Everest? Because the first achievement that he ever had was climbing Everest. And he goes, okay, now I've climbed Everest. What's my next Everest going to be? And so the whole premise of the podcast was talking about how your goal or your running towards success is this always, you're always in the chase of whatever your next Everest would be. So I 100% agree. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. I love that uh, kind of visualization to it too. It's so true. I mean, because the day that you are like, you kind of hang your hat on something and just say, you know what? I did it. I've, I've, I've made it to where I want to go. But then what, what's after that, right? What do you do? You just sit around and just kind of just 
not re- you're living, but you're not really living anymore. It just, it doesn't seem like the type of life, like retirement life doesn't sound like super awesome to me at all. It just, it seems like this, this always this hunt of what is your fullest potential and it's a grind forever. So question for you then, what is your, what are you working towards at the moment? So I have a, uh, well, we have a few things. It's funny you ask that because we have, my wife and I have something that we call our state of the marriage. So once a month we actually meet and I talk about what my vision is. She talks about what her vision is. Um, we talk about what our vision is together and then budgets, right? Like it's, it's kind of like a business meeting. Um, so mine, I got a net worth goal that I'd like to hit. Um, and we're getting closer to it, but we haven't hit yet. So that's my next. It was first cash flow. Now net worth is a, a big one for us. Yeah, awesome. Can you talk into a little bit more around the cash flow goals? So I guess, why was that the first goal? How did you achieve it? And then how has that helped you to now work towards the net worth goal? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the reason I even got into what what cash flow is, is because I had a realization that, dun, dun, dun. I could die, right? Mm-hmm. And I could die at any time. And any of us can, right? Like we could just, I could walk outside and a tree fall down out of nowhere and bump me in the head and that's it. You know, you call it quits. So me thinking about that, I was like, man, if that happens at the time I was in a very active business, I showed up, I got paid. I showed up, I got paid. And I was like, well, if I quit showing up, obviously no, there's no more money coming into the household. What am I really doing? How am I really setting up my family, Right. And so that's how it really started was that mental check that I could die. And then I started looking at, so how did I do it? What did I, what I did was my one, I found accountability partners that were like, we could care. We don't care about your feelings. You say you want to hit a goal. Let's hit the goal. And so I would meet with them. And the first thing we did was like, man, how much are we spending every month in our household? Like, what is our budget that goes out of our household every single month? Obviously, I'm going to talk about dollars, but ours was about $2,500 a month. And I said, okay, so I don't have to be a millionaire for this to work. All I need to do is create about $24,000 of passive income a year. That's it. I was like, oh, I could do that. that. That became more achievable. So with the accountability group, we started outlining what's the fastest way. How do we do this? Um, but the first mind check was I could die. And then how much money is actually leaving the household? Mm, that's awesome. And so was property a big part of that in terms of helping you generate that income? Yep. So I was with a company called, do, do you have Keller Williams in Australia? Maybe Keller Williams? Oh, no. no. Okay. So it's a real, so. it's, all, it's all good. It's a real estate company. Um, but they had something called profit share. So I would get a little bit of profit share every time an agent that I sponsored into the company would sell something. I would get a little bit of profit share. So that started, that was one piece. I'm no longer with Keller Williams. I actually moved to a different company called EXP where they don't do profit share. They do revenue share, way Mm. more profitable. Mm. So this is how we have a 170 agent team. They're out there closing stuff. You know, we're able to get a little piece of the pie on all that. That was huge. That's actually our number one. That's our Number one performer right now is revenue share. Number two, real estate Mm -hmm. in terms of short-term rentals. 
So we, we started our, we had a few long-term rentals. We turned them into short-term rentals to get more cash flow out of them. And then we started using that capital to get more short-term rentals to get more of that cash flow in yeah. there as well. We actually hit it fairly quickly. Um, but again, like we just started the podcast with, as soon as we hit that $2,000-ish dollar uh, cash flow a month, we said, hmm, if we could do that, what else could we do? You yeah, know, and awesome. it just, you start getting more and more and more. But as of today, number one is revenue share, EXP revenue share. Number two is real estate. And number three is our RV. So we actually rent out our RV and, and that produces cash flow as well. Nice. Sounds like you've got, uh, like you've thought about quite creative ways to generate that cash flow for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was, I was thinking about what shirt I should wear. Right. Um, but I was <laughs> like, this one says a lot, but I have one shirt that says, uh, um, lean into disruption. And that's what this is, right? It's like, everyone was doing long-term rentals at the time. No one was doing short-term rentals. I said, man, if we can get in front of this thing before it explodes here, we will be first to market. And that's going to be great. We weren't first to market, but we were one of the first, which set us up. Now the RV play, all I did was look at during COVID, a lot of people were buying RVs or renting them and getting the hell out of here, right? Like they're just like, I'm just going to go, I got to get out of here. And I said, man, we could do that. And everyone said that's, you know, not a good idea and all of this, but I leaned into disruption when the whole market, when you hear a lot of people say, that's not a good idea. It's probably not the best thing to do. It's probably the thing to do. Yeah. Lean into it. As long mm -hmm. as it makes sense. Numbers wise, lean into it, man. And it's paid off. Yeah. In Australia, we have a very common, everyone really invests in long-term rentals, things that are minimum six months leases. We don't really speak too much about Airbnbs or short-term rentals, even though we definitely use it. It's very common here. Can you lean into more of why you chose short-term investments? And is there is there more effort that goes into it? I think that's the, the main part. There's a lot higher of a turnover of tenants, potentially more property damage. What's your... Why have you chosen shorter term investments over longer term? So we had long term. And what we found, honestly, is that we had tenants who would destroy the properties. We also found that our property management companies that are in our market weren't the very best. So they would not do as many inspections as they said they did. And so our properties were destroyed. And so we were like, what? can we do to make sure our properties don't get destroyed? What could we do to where we have more uh, inspections and people coming into the property? What does that look like? And, and obviously we said, man, Airbnb, people are in and out. Each time it has to be cleaned and inspected many times a month. Hmm. And so that's what really started getting the ball rolling in terms of like uh, another benefit of doing that. Um, and it works out like our assets that we look at to be assets are are protected. They're protected assets versus being destroyed um, mm. because no one's looking at them for eight months, right? Until you find out there's another person living in the house, maybe 400 people living in the house, like 14 dogs and like 40 parrots and whatever it might be. None of that exists in the short-term rental space at all. That's so interesting. It's kind of the exact opposite as to what I would have thought in terms of, uh, you know, the properties being more damaged because I think the 
what you sort of think about when you think about Airbnb is parties and people going there for like, you know, to, to go away and bring some friends and that sort of thing and that properties would get damaged in that regard. But it's actually the complete opposite effect, which is uh, almost de-risking that. hundred percent. You're exactly right. It makes our asset a lot better. We don't market towards people who are coming here to, you know, have a good time. Like, mm. like, I mean, like have a party, not, I want them obviously to have a great time, but I don't want them <laughs> partying. We're more, we're more uh, um, pointed towards families. So yeah. our units look like uh, they're ready for families. We're taught, we, you can bring pets into ours, but obviously the, the, the turnaround gives us plenty of time to clean anything that might have happened. But we also have a property manager that's put in place again, if I die, right? Cause I can't manage a property if I'm dead. So we have a property manager that's in place and they vet everyone who comes through. There's a camera on the outside of the door. So they'll catch them. If they're lying, they'll catch them and they'll be kicked out the same day. So our asset is very, very well protected. What have you found to be the difference rental income return wise? Can you give us a bit of a difference between the long term versus the short term in terms of either yeah, revenue or percentage? Even vacancy yes. rates as well. Do you have more more time that the property is empty? Yeah, uh, no. Um, but I'll start at the numbers point. So when we first started doing it, I will say, I will preface this by saying when we were finding a deal, we still ran numbers as if it was a long-term rental. We knew we were going to turn it into a short-term rental, but we ran numbers as a long-term rental because the municipalities or, or the city says no, or we're going to, I don't know, just make sure we destroy this market because we have a lot of hotel uh, backdoor stuff going on and they're kicking out the Airbnbs. Well, we could still be fine. We still have long-term rental, long-term rental numbers. And we could still cash flow. So we knew we, that's how we ran it. Okay, then we go into the property. So to give you an example, one of our properties was cash flow, and I think $300, $400 a month. Um, and when we turned it into a short-term rental, we were looking at $1,300 a month. Wow. So yeah. a much bigger spread. I will say since when we started... I don't know, three plus years ago, turning everything in maybe four years ago now, turning everything into short-term rentals, a lot of investors have moved into the market and our daily rates are down. Um, so we've had to get a little bit more creative in terms of uh, putting a theme to each property, not just having a property, but now there's a theme um, to the properties to attract more people. Uh, our daily rates are down, but we are still hitting, I mean, we're probably $200 less on average a unit. So around a 1100 to a thousand a unit okay which still beats out the 300 ish dollars it's still three to four times what you would be earning on a long-term investment though across the board then mm-hmm but more importantly the asset is protected yeah mm -hmm. you know and mm -hmm. with the property um with you being airbnb is there or even do you go through airbnb or do you use another platform to rent out the property short term yeah, that's a good question. So our manager, he 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 has a software that syndicates it. So to many, uh, like Verbo, Airbnb, his own website, um, and a few other spots that it goes. But I still take, uh, I, I still market it and push it out and and let people know about our Airbnbs. But his he's got the program that syndicates it to many um, short term rental websites. 
What are your, what, um, when you say, I liked that you said you put themes to the properties and what do you think is a great way to attract more, um, customers to the property to purchase or or I guess rent them out for a short term period of time? Because you obviously have to be different in the market. You don't want to be boring or just someone that people scroll right past. So what do you do to make your property stand out? Yes. We have a farmhouse, um, kind of gives that country feel and, uh, uh, along to the, I mean, everything in the house, right. It kind of gives you that country feel and that one, that one stays rented out pretty good, pretty good. Um, we've done a botanical B and B is what we call it. The botanical B and B. So it's got a lot of this stuff. I feel like, um, this is my wife's office by the way. Um, <laughs> but it's got all this cutesy stuff, uh, and botanical stuff. We've even had, uh, a CEO of a botanical garden stay there because of the interest and, and how beautiful it looked in terms of flowers and all of this, by the way, we have all this, uh, pictures and video, literally buying the property, scraping out roaches. Cause it was a, it was torn up property, right? We had to fix it up, scraping out the roaches, fixing the holes in the ceiling, large holes, the rafters are broken. We got all this on film, uh, going through the property, fixing it up. It's all on YouTube until now you'll see like down the hallway there's this beautiful wallpaper with like flowers and there's gold and green and it's gorgeous so that's been a great attractor as well we also sell merchandise in our units because now that they are themed and branded you can also buy a t-shirt while you're there too Mm. um what's the other one Mm, oh the world so we have when you walk into the property the world you're surrounded by the world. So like uh, just just artifacts from all over the world. And then each room, it starts to shrink down. So then you have one room that's the United States of America, one room that is North Carolina, my state, and then one room that's Fayetteville, which is the city I live in. So you kind of, it shrinks down as you go into these, mm. uh, which is also on video, by the way, on YouTube. Um, but yeah, that that's also been a cool little thing too. How do you market your rental properties and how important would you say getting reviews and things like that have been for you in terms of generating more business, essentially? Before you to buy anything or stay anywhere, do you look at reviews first? Yes, I always do. Depends. It's always Most on word of mouth. I look at Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, Instagram <laughs> reviews. Sometimes I don't trust Google reviews, but... I'll always look at someone's Instagram. I'll look at their tags on Instagram. I'll look at how many people have stayed at the property. So how reliant it is. So many things yeah. like that. But yes, if definitely your reviews Airbnb, is up there. Yeah. If I'm looking at Airbnb, it's unlikely that I'm picking a place with no reviews on it. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. So reviews are so important. Um, and so that I'll say that. There's two, matter of fact, the, one of the ways that I do market it is I will screenshot the reviews that we got and then, you know, make them look cool and then pass it on all my social media. So LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, like it's going to go everywhere because I want, you know, I'm going to say these are the best Airbnbs you can stay at here in Fayetteville or Hope Mills, North Carolina. I, of course, I'm going to say that it looks really good when somebody else is telling the yeah. world that, you know what I mean? And not me. So, yeah, that's one of the ways I just I tell the story through other people's eyes. Another great way. And I've kind of hinted towards it is document the property from the beginning when you purchase Mm. it it looks like crap right and you're recording it and you're pushing out these videos 
twice a month, maybe once a month, depending on how much work's getting done. So the market is already following the story of this property before it's even live. Mm -hmm. And they're part of the story of watching it from a turd, right? To, to like a shiny, amazing diamond, you know, and like watching that process and the headache and the contractors you have to fire and how many stuff you ordered and, and how many things were wrong, what broke just that whole storytelling. So once the property is finally live, they want to be part of that story. They want their friends and family to be part of that story. Um, so that's been a great way. It's just building up demand before it actually goes live versus just going on Facebook and like, got a new Airbnb, check it out. You know, it's <laughs> like it, humans are very attracted to stories just as much as we told campfire uh, stories back in the day before there was newspapers, radio, anything, right? We told stories. So we just tap into that human element and just start telling the story. We did the same thing with our RV. Mm. Important because it's the same thing as you just said, Ev. You're not going to book an Airbnb that has no reviews. So how do you get set up and how do you get started to get clients to actually book the property? That's the important thing. So yeah, yeah I agree. People are very attracted to stories. People love the emotional side of things and not just to see it for what it is. They always want to see a story behind it and they'll be so much more in touch with it and way more likely to want to be a part of it as well. Yep, that's right. In terms of how you've built out your property portfolio, I think we often see a lot, you know, with a lot of our clients that do want to generate or build out three, four, five properties, for example, it definitely becomes a sticking point where you've got the combination of cash flow and capital growth that you need to be able to purchase that next asset. How have you found your acquisition journey? Have you hit any sticking points where you've had to change your strategy or have to look at how you go ahead and, and build that next um, asset out? Yeah, that's a good question. And this might be me leaning into disruption because we've had plenty of opportunity to partner on deals. We've had plenty of opportunity to pull the equity out of the home, move that equity into purchasing a new property. But I've always wanted to see if we can purchase the next property with our own, just myself, my wife, like us, no partner, and not pulling equity from anything. How can we do that? So I think one of the first things we have to do is know that the properties we're looking for aren't going to be the most expensive properties out there. Because if we're going to be paying cash or we're going to be paying the down payment for the loan, then it just can't be right. Like we don't yeah. want to just dump a bunch of money. Out. So we've gotten very, the way that we've done it is I'm a big database guy or a CRM. Do y'all have a CRM? Yep. You do. Yep. So I constantly reach out to my people. One, just how's life, right? Like people don't care how much, you know, until you, uh, they know how much you care. So just like, or people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Um, and so just like loving on our people, like we always do. But there are call to actions, right? And it's, hey, who do you know looking to get rid of their home? We're interested in, and we'd like to look. So we, that's how we found our last four deals, I want to say, um, is just from our database. Now, we'll go into that property and we will evaluate it and say, like, man, it needs this much work. We can't go past this. And if it's too high, we'll skip out on it. But if it's low enough or we can provide the capital without pulling equity, without bringing in a partner, without doing um uh any other like a, a a business line of credit or something like that then we we move forward that way so it's slower but it helps 
helps us grow, which is our new goal, our net worth, because we're not pulling equity to, to shove into something else. It just mm. depends on what your uh, what your strategies are. For some people, they they will always pull equity. It's called the Burr strategy. They'll always pull equity out of that property to dump into another property, refi, uh, rent out, and repeat o- that over and over and over. For us, we just do it a little bit differently. We definitely see that as the most common strategy in Australia. Yeah. But I think from what you've said there, the biggest thing that comes out of that for me is that you're really clear on your strategy. And I think that's often something that I see, particularly for first time investors or people that are, you know, they have this idea of, I want to get into property. I want to build a portfolio, but they don't understand the strategy behind it in terms of how that's working towards their longer term goals. So can you talk a little bit more to, how you've gotten really clear on that strategy and and why that's so important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I have people who come to me and it's like, hey, what's the what's the fastest way I can get into this? And I was like, and I always say this. So it's so interesting you said that. I always say, what are your goals? I whatever I tell you may not fit, right? And it probably won't. So what are your goals? And then from there, like, well, um, and that's the issue right there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's okay not to have it 100%. Matter of fact, I would even say, don't wait till you have it 100%. You're, you're going to get caught in this waiting to get ready, 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 to get, and you'll never actually jump in. So just get 60, 70% clear and then jump in. But for me, what it was, was I could die. I mm-hmm. could die. So I don't want to carry a lot of debt only to pass off to my wife if I died. So it wasn't a, a constant pull out, pull out, you know, pull this, grab this, put this over here, purchase another property, more debt, pull, get a little bit of equity. Now grab that and go get more debt. It just, it wasn't my way of doing things. I was, I was okay with the slow, more stable growth that, that I could find. But for me, it was easy. And I think honestly, man, and I think about this is like, if everyone thought, Twister mindset that they could die, they could die tomorrow. How would you go about investing? And for me, it was super simple. It's like, oh, I'm no longer here. So we need to to get cash flow, not a lot of debt, put a property manager involved and just keep keep growing that way. I hope I answered your question. No, absolutely. And I think what you've said is uh, really, it, it really sort of, brings forth the fact that you've done it in a very strategic way that means that you're um, thinking about what the risk factors are you're thinking about it specifically tailored towards your goals and it's something that's not going to suit everybody and people are going to have different goals around that but having that why as a starting point is really valuable agreed Okay, I think something, so when it comes to acquiring your properties, not just in terms of the cash flow behind it and your income and the down payment for it, but what do you look for in a property for value and to bring value to it? Are you always looking for properties that you're going to do up yourself? Are you looking for properties that are already done? What really stands out in the market for you when you're looking to buy another property for your portfolio? It's a great question because we're about to put one under contract right now and it fit what we were looking for. So I could tell you what we're looking for. So one, I rode by the property and when I did, it was in a cul-de-sac. I love that because that, that attracts families, right? Their kids can play in the road, you know, not 
unsupervised, <laughs> but there, <laughs> there's going to be less traffic, you know? So in, in a cul-de-sac, the neighborhood was one way in, one way out, less traffic for families. I love that. No backyard neighbors. And so there's some privacy right there. The backyard was fenced in for a pet or for kids. As you see, my whole mindset is families. Mm. I want families. That's what I want. I want someone who wants to, to enjoy this house, build memories. That's it. So all the bright things were saying that. So then as I'm walking up, I go in and it's a mess. And I'm like, yes. The reason why I'm <laughs> like, yes, is because that means you can negotiate on price, right? Because now you're going to have to fix it up. If I give, let's see, for the botanical B&B, now we purchased that for $25,000. So very, very low. Three bedroom, two bath, no, three bedroom, one bath. Um, and we put around 25000 to fix it back up. So we're in 50000 But the ARV or the after repair value is about 130000 140000 so I almost pulled $100,000 of equity, although I put $25,000 up front to, to fix it up. So when I see fix it up, yes, it's going to cost today's money to fix it up. But I'm thinking tomorrow what this money can multiply to be in terms of equity. Now, if I buy a home that's already fixed up, I don't know if I can necessarily negotiate on price it's already retail it's already on the shelf ready to buy i want that broken y'all know if you go shopping somewhere and you pick up that broken item right that's missing something and you bring it up to cash register and be like yo this one's broken mm-hmm. um this is missing this is missing this part this half of it stinks a little bit do you mind if i get 50 percent off right because they just want to get rid of it it's on the clearance rack that's what i like because i could pop another wheel on that thing and you know clean it up a bit and then resell it. And the so, other part yeah, I, want, just, I want the hurting got, properties. The Sorry. other part of that is you've got less competition because people aren't looking at it the same way that you are. You're looking at that with the future value and a very, very specific focus on location, lifestyle, that type of thing, as opposed to the pretty aspects of property. Yeah, because you can, you can make Go watch our video. You I will see. <laughs> you know, you can make any property. When you look at this property, you're gonna be like, "Ooh, like, ooh I don't know what they're gonna do with this thing." But if you walk into it, like, "Oh, I just need to, I just need to grab all that junk and and throw it away." That wall can be painted. That hole can be fixed. Like, and just walk through it and just kind of feel what it could be with a contractor to tell you reality prices, right? Of like how much it's mm-hmm. gonna cost to fix it. But yeah, man, that's all, you're paying for the dirt, the dirt and the memories. They're not making, you're not making more earth. We have earth and that's it. Purchase earth, it's not going anywhere. You could pretty it up mm-hmm. later and it's gonna yeah. increase in value. I've just done some quick sums. So you think, so you bought that for 25,000, put about 25,000 into it, did you say? And you're renting mm-hmm. it out for about eleven, twelve hundred a month. Yeah, it's actually more. It's it's renting out much more than that. But we pay, or our management fee um, is twenty five percent. Okay. Because it's so active, so it's it's doing more. But after after that split, after we're bringing fees. in about thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred. Okay, so 
in terms of then your net cash flow, you're looking at a 28% uh, cash flow or yield on that property on an annual basis. That's massive. It's huge. And usually <laughs> think for us with long-term properties here where you have a 12-month lease, we're lucky to get 3 4%. You'd be yeah. happy with that. So that's oh, actually wow. insane. What's a standard rental yield in the US for a long-term rental then? Well, they say is long. So this is a, a, a rule that you'll hear. It's called the 1% rule. And what that is, is if you buy a, a home and it's not accurate 100%, but it's, it's kind of a rule of thumb. So if you buy a home for $100,000, for example, then it's got to rent for at least $1,000 a month. Okay. Rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. We, have the same th- we have a similar thing. Yeah. So we don't shoot at 1%, <laughs> obviously. We shoot for 2 plus percent. We want more. We want more yeah. because we never know when the market's going to shift or like we're looking now when the, uh, the dollar is turning into crap. The dollar's worth nothing. It's dying at like an 11% inflation rate right now, which is ridiculous. So we need a cash yeah. flow that cash is much higher than 11%, like 26 or 28%, which you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. How have you found the last year or so then in terms of property market trends, interest rates, all of that sort of thing? Because in Australia, we're obviously we're a little bit behind the US in terms of our interest rate movements and that sort of thing. Um, but I think we're definitely starting to feel the effects of it now. What have you noticed over in the US market? Well, it used to be amazing. It was like at two point some odd percent um, for interest. So money was cheap. Uh, I think we're looking at around seven or maybe even close to eight percent on this one that we're getting now, Uh, which whatever. Again, so like I'm looking at a long term, long term, right? Can we refi 10 years from now if it goes below seven percent? Yep. Right. Like I have time. I'm not worried about today's 7%. And again, lean into disruption. If a lot of people are freaking out, perfect. Everyone move yep. out of my way, please. I'm going to go towards that thing that everyone's running away from. There will be mm. less co- There will be less uh, competition. And negotiating is going to be a little bit better because they're not getting as much demand on that home. Move out of my way, guys. I'm thinking long term. You guys yep. get stuck in the fear of today. That's fine. We've heard, we often hear, I think, for people that are maybe not so, um, they don't want to take as big a risks or they haven't purchased property before or they're a little bit more, um, I guess, adverse to taking those monetary type risks. And I always hear it. People go, oh, we're just, we're just going to wait off a little bit because the market might crash. What do you think about that statement? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I was walking up to that world home. The one I was saying was the world. And I was like, I don't know if we can do this. Like it, you know, it was pretty bad. And like, it would, I don't know if we even had the like cash reserves to really go for it. And, but I was like, dummy, you're going to die. You're worried now you're, you, you need to be thinking about the future, man. Like this thing can be fixed. You will figure it out with money. You're trying to look out for your family. Stop making excuses. By the way, my account- accountability group needed to tell me the same thing, right? Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it goes back to what you said earlier. What's your goal, right? If, if your goal is bigger than today's issue, you'll be fine. 
And my goal was much bigger. And the good thing is I didn't die. Right. And we're kind of enjoying some of the cash flow uh, fun things, but it's, it's, you got to know what your goal is, man. And you can't allow, you can't allow today's fear, which, Oh, by the way, I had to convince myself and, and push fear aside. Um, mm. And now it's worth it. Now it's really paid off. So uh, you got to know what your goal and your vision is and your why, what about that goal is so important to you? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. On that top, on that topic, what would be your number one tip for property buyers then getting into the market? Uh, I would say one, understand your goal. Um, <laughs> there's a common thing. Of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Two, go to some meetups, go to investor meetups, go to FinCon, mastermind with some real estate people. Start getting around that verbiage, that communication, that mindset. Um, because there's a there's something called be, do, have. Have you ever heard that? No, no. So first, before you can have the real estate, you have to be the investor, right? So what does that look like? You start going to investor meetups. Be an investor. They have goals, right? Start feeding your brain bigger pockets, which is a huge uh, investor. Uh, y- y'all know bigger pockets, maybe? No. <laughs> No. no, it's okay. It's okay. So Bigger Pockets is a huge website and they have their own podcast and all of this. We've actually had our team on Bigger Pockets, but start consuming that content. Be the investor. Then do what an investor does, right? And that's when you start to go, like I said, go to these meetups. You start to analyze properties. You start to drive and start looking at the properties. What kind of property do you want? Do investor things. Start looking, start looking, maybe knock on a few doors, just start getting all that's free. Mm. You haven't spent any money so far, you know, unless you buy an audio book or something like that. Bigger Pockets podcasts are free on YouTube. So be, do. And then once you start doing the things an investor does, you can have the things the investor has. But follow be, do, have, have a goal, start meeting people and get your mind around be, do, have. Yeah, that's awesome. It really comes down to we're not jumping into this blindly. People are doing a lot of research. We're understanding our objectives and we're being really strategic about working towards those before we jump in to make sure that it stacks up and that we've thought about this clearly and very concisely. That's awesome. Love it. Thank you so much for coming on. You've been amazing to talk to and it's lovely to chat to you again. Of course. Of course. I love it. Anything that's going to bring you and your audience value, I am down to do. So where can people find you? Where can they follow you, learn more about what you do? Watch your properties uh, as they get uh, renovated? Yeah, yeah. It, that's the fun side because this one we got under contract, we're going to start documenting it. Yeah, um, awesome. But it's, oh, proven by Ruben. Proven by Ruben, R-U-B-E-N, on everything. So doesn't matter the platform, YouTube, uh, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and on and on and on, all proven by Ruben. Awesome. Thank you, Ruben. It's been amazing talking to you, and um, we can't wait to share this with our audience, and I'm going to jump in and watch your YouTube videos. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the great questions, too. So thank you. And thank you, Maddie, for connecting with me at FinCon. So we made this happen. Absolutely. Anytime. That was great. We actually met at a little um, real estate meetup as well at the FinCon. So that was great. That's oh, the thing. Cool. You got to network. Absolutely. 100%.
Oh, well, have a good fun. rest of your evening because it is night time for you there. And I'm sure we'll chat soon. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Ruben. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of You Have My Interest. Remember to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. To find out more about how Everland can help educate and empower you to achieve your goals with finance and property, just visit everland.com.au forward slash podcast and book in a free discovery call.